Hi friends, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill Bible, and it's great to be with you. Today we are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom in a Disorienting World. And today we are going to talk about God's gracious wisdom for our money, wisdom for our wealth. Today is a money message. Um, And if you're with us for the very first time, I can guess maybe what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, of course, of course the church is talking about money because that's all the church really wants is my money. This pastor, I don't know him, but he probably is out to buy a new Tesla or something. And I just want to start off by saying I'm not. I'm not interested in buying a new Tesla. In fact, I drive a 2005 Chevy Equinox that much to my kids chagrin I am very very happy with so there's no goal on on this end of the message to to simply get a hold of your money not our motivation at all second if it's not your first time and you've been around church for a while you're probably already thinking that this message I know where it's going I know where it's going to end Pastor Dave is going to land the plane right into how I should be tithing how I should be giving more money to the church this sermon will certainly be all about tithing and giving well if if you're if you have questions about that if you're wondering like if I should tithe maybe we should just get that subject out of the way right now yes you should tithe. In fact, you should more than tithe. You should generously give some of your money to the church, and you should also generously give some of your money to other charitable organizations that help people in need. It's a good thing to do this. It's good for your heart. It reorders your priorities away from selfishness. It cultivates a heart of generosity in you. All sorts of wonderful things that God does in you when you give. It's a reflection of Jesus himself. So do it. Do it joyfully. Give away your money. Aren't you glad we got that out of the way? Okay, continuing on. But, but, tithing alone will not set you free from greed. You can give 10% of your money and still be self-absorbed and greedy. In fact, I would say this. Some of you are actually more, more self-righteous because you give to the church. Your giving, you see, doesn't make you less greedy. It actually sometimes can make you more prideful. I give. Look at me. Isn't God so pleased with me? I give more than so-and-so. Others of you... You give 10% and then you use that giving to justify being greedy and self-absorbed with the other 90% of your income. Hey, I've given my money to God. Now I get to do whatever I want with my part, with the other 90%. You see, giving, tithing, generosity are not the silver bullet. So what is the silver bullet? I'll suggest to you, and I think Proverbs suggests to us, that wisdom is the silver bullet. Wisdom is what will put you in right relationship with money. Proverbs says wisdom is actually what we need for all of life, and it's certainly what we need when it comes to our approach to money and wealth. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Listen to these words. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 30, verse seven through nine. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, now these two passages may be wondering, why, why did I read those? Each of them represent the first and then the last mention of wealth in the book of Proverbs. And, and they, they stand kind of on the, at the beginning of this book and at the end of this book, and they might even seem to be in contradiction with one another. The first one seems at first glance to be about how God will give us lots of money. Like if we honor him, then he'll like fill our barns and our vats, you know, whatever that means. The second one is about, is a guy seeming to say, God, don't give me lots of money. So they seem to be opposite. They seem to be in contradiction. But let me suggest to you a different way of thinking. These two verses sit in tension. They balance one another out. One scholar I read this week said, they each hold up the ends of a string and in between what hangs on that string are all the other verses about money and wealth in Proverbs. And so friends, the very first question I want to ask today is, what wisdom do we need in our understanding of money? What wisdom do we need in our understanding of money? And the answer, I've already given it to you, the answer is tension. We need to embrace the tension in our understanding of money. Wisdom allows and even calls for us to have tension in our understanding about our wealth. I was talking with Pastor Carl Palmer this week who pastored here for 25 years and in conversation we determined that we both agree that we are losing the art of tension in our world and in the church. We are losing the ability to have nuanced thinking. It's either all this or all that, all one way or all another. You see this all the time in our world. Masks are either evil and of the devil or we should stop people on the streets and shame them for not wearing them all the time, even outside. It's like there, there's no nuanced thinking. You're either conservative or liberal, red or blue. Things are either right or wrong, good or bad. It's either Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. You're either with the Joker or with the Batman. We've lost the ability to embrace tension. Friends, it is sometimes true that things are clear, but the scriptures often offer us truth in tension, and that is certainly the case in Proverbs when it comes to wealth. Now, one way we see this throughout the book of Proverbs is in what we call the better than verses. And the overall idea here is that, you know, wealth is good. That kind of sits on one side. It's good. It's a good thing. But it's not the best thing. It's not the most important thing. That's the tension. It's good, but it's not best. And when we try to make it too important, it actually becomes bad. It becomes destructive in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs 15. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Verse 17, better a small serving of vegetables with love 
than a fattened calf with hatred. I feel like that should be a meme. Someone should make a meme out of that. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Proverbs 19.22. Greed is a person's shame. Better to be poor than a liar. Proverbs 16.8. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. You see, what that verse seems to say is, yeah, you can increase your bottom line. Sure, you can do it. You can do it by hiking up your prices and cutting costs with cheap materials and paying your workers less. But Proverbs asks, what is better, to live righteously, to do the right thing before God, or, or to have more money? I was reading this week that there's actually a new trend in business that businesses are now not just talking about one bottom line. They're not just talking about the economic bottom line, but there's a new trend where, where businesses are also now talking about the social bottom line, the communal bottom line, the environmental bottom line. And that may seem new and trendy, but what we find in Proverbs is that it's actually old and biblical. Proverbs 19.1 Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. Proverbs 22. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Sure, Proverbs is saying you've made a lot of money, but at what cost? What do your bosses say about you? What do your coworkers say about you? What do your employees say about you? What do people out in the community say about you? That matters more. The picture that comes to mind for me is It's a Wonderful Life. It's one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it this week. But in summary, it's, it's a comparison between two people, Mr. Potter and George Bailey. It's like, there's one and there's the other. Mr. Potter has more money, a lots more money. But George Bailey, he has more friends. Mr. Potter, he has lots of property. He has lots of stuff. But George Bailey, he has helped tons of people. Mr. Potter is notorious in town. But George Bailey, he's beloved. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I love this one. Better a dry crust. Some of you don't even like moist crust. Some of you have moms who cut the crusts off of your sandwiches, which is why you were so, so spoiled. But that's a whole other sermon. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs says, sometimes money, sometimes the pursuit of more is not a good thing. Sometimes it's better to have less. Sometimes less is best. You should write that down. Now, here's the question. Why does Proverbs do this? Why does Proverbs do this whole like this is better than that thing over and over and over again, especially when it comes to money? Why does Proverbs offer us Tension. Why does Proverbs say money's good, but there's some stuff that's better? Hold all that intention. The reason Proverbs does this is because God knows the seductive power of wealth. 
God knows that, that while money can be a good thing, we, you and me, human beings, the human heart can easily be tempted to go after wealth as the most important thing. We pursue money as the thing that will actually offer us lasting and ultimate joy, the thing that will give us satisfaction, the thing that will make us feel safe and secure. We think money will do it. This is Proverbs 18, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Some of you are thinking about that song. I know you're humming it in your mind right now. Verse 11. But the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. And notice how he says they imagine it as if to say it's not right, but they think it's true. You see, in the ancient world, to live in a city behind walls, that was a privilege. To live in a city where there was a tower for, for spotting enemies who might be coming your way, that provided safety, that brought security to your existence. And Proverbs is, is saying here that we are we're tempted to look for security in our minds and hearts and souls in having money. We're tempted to feel like a pile of money in the bank will protect us from calamity. It'll sort of bail us out when hard things come our way. And so we tend to rely on it instead of the Lord for security. But here's the truth. There are things in this world that money can never protect you from. If money is your strong tower, if money is your fortified walls, your fortified city, then those walls are at some point going to come crumbling down. Money can never provide ultimate safety and security for your heart and mind and soul. It just can't. Here's the other thing. We're tempted to think that money can buy things for us that it simply can't can offer us the ultimate joy and satisfaction and the good life that, that, that we long for deep in our, in our souls. We think money can offer it, but it can't. We think money can buy good, fred- good friendship. Can't. We think money can buy the love and respect of a spouse, a happy, harmonious family, that money will bring peace and security with God. And the reason we think this is often because advertising Advertising has the goal of convincing us that this is true, that we can actually purchase, that money can buy the deeper things of life. And here's, here's what advertising does. You'll notice this now when you watch commercials. They, they offer us something associated with what it is that we really want, promising that if we buy it, we will also get that thing that we most deeply desire. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example like from like real world time right now. VRBO, Verbo, has a series of ads at this very moment that demonstrate this principle perfectly. One of those ads starts by saying, you know, they show a picture of a canoe and it says, this is the canoe that a young couple will get gloriously lost in together. And then there's a picture of a, of a, checkers, a checkers board uh, in the middle of a, on the, like a coffee table. This is the checkers game where grandson and granddad will bond. These are the woods, and it shows these woods with a house kind of down this long lane. These are the woods where a daughter will tell a mother that she's nervous about starting a new school. 
This is the kitchen where the new boyfriend will unofficially become part of the family. And then there are these images that are played of these happy, attractive, deeply connected people. And the message is this, all you have to do is click. All you have to do is spend some money on a Verbo vacation home and you can buy the things that your heart most desires. That's not even the most compelling ad. That's a really compelling ad. It's not the most compelling one, at least not to me. The most compelling Verbo ad is the one that shows a father and a daughter. You see, I have two daughters. And my oldest daughter is a senior in high school this year. She's soon to go off to college. So, so time with her is short. And in this particular Verbo commercial, it talks about this father and daughter, and it shows them, and it says she's usually on her iPhone, and she's usually not very conversant. She doesn't talk too much, and she's generally disengaged, but now here at this Verbo lake house, she comes out of her shell, and she smiles at you, and she laughs, and she talks at you, and now you're connected to her, and again, the message is simple. You want that? If you want that, dads, just buy it. Just buy it. Just just click on the link below. Just enter your credit card number. And friends, some would say that's good advertising. Well, it's good advertising, but it's also deceptive. It's manipulation. It's, it's tempting and compelling because if you are a parent, you would do almost anything to connect with your kids. But unfortunately, safety and vulnerability and connection and intimacy are never as simple as just going out of town. I wish it was, but it's not. Sure, it is good to get away, but not all vacations go like that. In fact, we've had some of our biggest fights on vacation. Maybe you have too. Money is a good thing, but it cannot buy you ultimate security. Money cannot buy you the things that your heart most desires. And so Proverbs says there's tension there's tension. Good, but not most important. Can do some good things, but can't offer you the most important things. And then here's the final question. If in light of those truths, how then should we approach money? I want to go back to our, our first verses. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Now listen to what he says. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Do you hear what he's saying? He's he's saying, beware of your own depravity. Beware of your own depravity. The, authors, uh, the author of these verses is saying, you know, God, I don't trust my own heart. I don't trust that I, God, I don't trust myself. I don't trust that I can resist the alluring power of money to lure me away from you. He's saying, I, if you give me too much, God, if you give me too much stuff, too many material possessions, too much money, I may be tempted to think that I don't need you anymore. I just know myself well enough to know that that could happen in me. If you give me too little, God, I may be tempted to betray you in my pursuit of more. Either way, either way, money could easily get a hold of my heart. 
You see, most of us, we have sort of an arrogant posture towards money. We think we have full control of it and it has little to no control of us. Furthermore, most of us will even take it a step farther. We are convinced that if we had more money, if God just blessed us with a chunk of money, a pile of cash, then that would only make us more godly. Then the generosity that's deep inside of us would really come like pouring out of us. That's what we think about ourselves. God, if you just gave me more, then I would be just a phenomenal steward of it. But that's not how the author of Proverbs thinks. He knows himself better than we know ourselves. He's humble and he knows the depravity of his own heart. Be aware of the depravity of your own heart. Here's the second thing. Proverbs 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's the key word of those two verses. Honor. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor is a Hebrew word that means give weight. It means value. It means show significance. It means glorify. And the idea here, the calling of the book of Proverbs right from the very beginning is that the value and significance and weightiness that God has in our lives should, simp- should simply be expressed in how we approach money. If God is weighty, if he's valuable and significant in our lives, then that should come out in how we approach and spend and earn our money. If God is valuable to you, spend like it. If God is significant in your life, give that away. If God's presence and work in your soul has weight, then make your earning practices reflect God's weightiness in your heart. You see, the wisdom of Proverbs and Scripture is not to just follow certain rules with your money in order to make God happy. Here's what God needs you to do with your money. Follow his rules. Obey his commands. No. No. The the wisdom of the scriptures is this. Be so happy with God, so in love with Jesus, so captured by his grace that your entire life reflects that, including how you think about and act towards money. You see, the big question about money is, what does how you are currently earning and spending and giving say about how much you honor and value God. I'll I'll read that again. What does how you are currently earning and spending and giving say about how much you honor and value God? Is your hope really in him or in something else? You see, if if your spending is not right, if your giving is is not really up to snuff, if if the, the the truth is this, you don't have a money problem. Something's wrong with your money. You don't have a money problem. You have a value problem. You you have a hope problem. So this morning, the calling isn't do something different with your money. This morning, the calling is, is make sure that God has the proper weightiness and value and significance in your heart. This morning, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a few minutes. And we're going to remember why God should have so much value and significance and and weight in our lives. Why he deserves so much praise and honor and glory and power. 
We're going to remember where our hope is found. And then we're going to allow the weightiness of that hope to direct our entire lives, including how we relate to money. If you don't have elements this morning, go ahead and pause the video, get some elements together. We're going to share the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember who our God is, what he's done for us, how much weight and significance he has in our lives. Pastor Bethany is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper in just a minute. So let's be ready for that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, this morning, as we gather online together around your table, around this meal, I pray, God, that you would use it to remind us how significant you are, how you're the place of ultimate and never-ending hope. Draw us back, back, Lord, into valuing you giving you significance in our lives the way we should because of who you are and what you've done for us because of your death and your resurrection, your power, your strength, your grace, your mercy. Do that in our lives this morning. Thank you for using this meal. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.